Welcome to Known Pleasures, a podcast dedicated to the celebration of the post-punk and new wave music of the late 70s and early 80s. The three of us, Patrick, Mark and Graham, will devote each episode to a different band. Here is Patrick with a slightly pretentious introduction to the subject of today's podcast. In 1977, from the primordial swamp of Glasgow, in the grimy inner urban heart of Scotland, a rock band emerged. Their name, Simple Minds. But 40 years and 30 million records later, are they destined to be remembered as one of the most innovative groundbreaking groups of the early 80s? A Caledonian quintet who lit up the music scene with their pulsating rhythms, mesmerising soundscapes, and Jim Kerr's weird dance moves that were later imitated shamelessly by Scott Kahn from Kids in the Kitchen? Or are they merely to be recalled as the band whose cheesy pop song played in the background at the end of The Breakfast Club, as Judd Nelson threw a defiantly fingerless gloved fist into the late afternoon American sky after forming a deep and lasting romantic bond with Molly Ringwald? Did we indeed forget about them, or will they live on in our memories as long as music itself is played? That was fantastic. Thanks, guys. Indeed. Well, actually, to, to tell the truth, um, speaking of Don't You Forget About Me, if I was to ask any young person about um, Simple Minds, they would say, Don't You Forget About Me. That's that's what they would know. That would be their reference point. Um, whereas to uh, people like us, it was kind of the beginning of the end. Mm, absolutely. So um, it, it became such a, a iconic cultural moment. That um, I, I don't know, um, you know, whether we're kind of in, in the minority here mm. in, in, in liking the music that we, uh, the early music that we like. Do you remember when you heard "Don't You Forget About, About Me" the first time, and the extent to which your heart sank in the direction of your shoes? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know whether I, I disliked it that much, but it was in Brisbane. I think I. Um... I seem to remember living in Sydney when we first heard it. The movie came out when we lived in Sydney. Mm. I actually liked the song. I still like it. They didn't write it, mm. so don't put too much blame on them. Did you like it the first time you heard it? Yeah, okay. I did, but I was into the sound that they gave it. Yeah, So yeah. it kind of fit in with what they were doing at the time. So it's, this was 1984, was it? Um, mm, don't you forget about me? So maybe a year or so after New Gold Dream? Uh, some, some, something along those lines? Something along those lines. It, it, it seemed to fit in with Sparkle in the Rain. Right, okay. Around that time, somewhere between the two. Maybe. Actually, sorry, yeah, it was it was after Sparkle in the Rain, wasn't it? Yep. Mm. Yeah, which was, Sparkle not, Rain which, which was 1984. Sparkle in the Rain was kind of big and, and, and you know, had the, the big drum sounds and everything. Mm. And yeah. I remember, um, yeah, it, it kind of fit mm. in with what they were doing at that time. They wanted to go big. Yeah. They wanted to have hits and that's obviously what they were trying for when they achieved that. I mean, that would still be their biggest selling song. Yeah, yeah. Without yeah. a doubt. But I'd, I I definitely got the impression at the time that they saw it as a one-off song, that it was specifically, I think, for the Breakfast Club soundtrack. Is that right? Mm. Um, and and another band turned down and they did it instead. Yeah. So And they specifically didn't put it on the subsequent album Once Upon a Time. Mm. So that was kind of their statement that this is a bit of a one-off and I think they were they were kind of a little bit embarrassed about the song to, to start with and because it wasn't cool, you know, to, to have a number one hit mm. in the US. But then it did kind of direct the band towards the era in which they're generally identified by the general public, the the Live Aid era, Jim Kerr's mullet, uh, 
uh, Alive and Kicking mm. uh, and then on to the kind of Belfast child era and so on where, you know, I think that went to number one in the UK. So they definitely had their biggest chart years at the time when we were probably least interested in them. You know, I think for for people who think of Simple Minds in terms of Don't You Forget About Me, I think it's such a stark contrast mm. to our own experiences of, of Simple Minds during the two, two or three or four years leading up to Don't You Forget About Me, where they were making some of the most interesting music of any bands in the world. Mm. The two of you went to see Simple Minds recently when they toured mm. and I didn't go because I because you're a they traitor. broke Where my heart you go, for instance? they've <laughs> broken my heart over the last three decades <laughs> <laughs> but um, and I'd be interested to get a sense of the crowd reaction to the different eras of the band well, you the should different have been songs there. That should have, been have, you, I, you have I come to the right money, place you would have got that reaction <laughs> <laughs> so did did don't you forget about me get the biggest reaction Pretty close to it. Yeah, pretty yeah, close to it. I mean, the, the sing-along with that, that was la da 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 I think you sang along, Graham, from my... You know, no, I, I think I was, we I both was... held our mobile phones up in the air yeah. at that point, <laughs> which is what you do these days. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks and for the, posting that on YouTube. In between great. posting videos on YouTube and yeah, so, yeah. other social media. Well, it's important to let everyone else know that you are there. Probably more than actually enjoying the concert itself. Yeah, yeah. If, if you don't document it, it didn't it happen. It didn't happen, that's, that's right. right. But uh, no, it was, well, speaking of the, the bit that I actually did post on, um, on YouTube, it was the very beginning of um, Waterfront. Waterfront. Mm. And I was surprised, like while I was filming it, I was listening to it and even listening to the video on, on a computer. You can hear quite clearly that it's Waterfront. It sounds very close to the record. Oh. I, th- I thought the sound on the, on the evening was really good. Well, the Horden always is good. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect venue for them because they've got quite a multi-layered sound and you've heard most of what was going on. And yeah. we were sitting right, next, standing right next to the mixing desk, which is always a good place to be. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I thought the sound was great. I mean, I enjoyed the night. I mean, it was, a, it was a strange night of nostalgia and kind of feeling sad for your lost youth, which is a familiar feeling these days. <laughs> um, and, and being instantly... <laughs> Barely a minute passes. Yeah, instantly mm. transported back to... Uh, 30-something years ago, the last time I saw them, mm. 1985, uh, um, thereabouts, which is a whole other story in itself. Mm, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it was just like yesterday for me mm. anyway, and I'm sure for a few other old, you know, Jesus. middle-aged people as well. And uh, the demographic, was it a, like a wide the, range of, of, of No, audience? it was a very narrow range okay. of old people um, and <laughs> their children. And their children, yeah. yeah. <laughs> some eye-rolling was going on. There was some gum-chewing um, yeah. and that was the young people. Okay, right. Okay. <laughs> and that was us. That was just great. That was Jim Kerr. Trying to be young. Um, mm-hmm. I must also say that Mel Gaynor was sensational on drums, Charlie Birchall, all three original members were fantastic. If only Derek Forbes had been there, I could have on died and bass. gone to heaven. Yes, on bass he was. <laughs> what about Mick he, McNeil on keyboard? Oh, I can Come take on. Mick. Take him or leave him. Yeah, Derek Forbes harsh. was the man, one of the greatest post-punk bass players or, or any type of bass player, which mm. is, you know, I could talk about that at length, but he he was he made the band for me. He made them something special. Without those bass lines, you, you would never have heard of Simple Minds. That's I did see that, um, that he was voted... Uh, the best Scottish bass player of all time in a a stiff competition. In and on, in a, <laughs> <laughs> the guy from Big Country was pretty good. That's right. What about the guy from Status Quo? Wasn't he Scottish? 
No. <laughs> was that Alan Lancaster? That Alan Lancaster. Isn't, isn't the word status quo Scottish? This is going to Scottish quality mm. to the, the, old, the old Celtic word. Mm. Mm. So anyway, back to what you were talking about, Patrick, about how the subsequent <laughs> I albums. I thought we were talking about status quo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The status quo. Yeah. Look, I'd, li- I'd like to still bring the conversation back to what I'm interested in talking about, yeah. which is not like me. Um, <laughs> the defining albums which are open to interpretation of the sort of era that we're talking about, I think we'd all agree the first two albums were heavily indebted to Roxy Music, David Bowie, um, that era, mm. with some interesting nods to Krautrock and other things, but mm. the vocal style was, was quite of the era, the sounds, mm. the song structures. But the third album, Empires and Dance, was a really marked departure from that. Would 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 you yeah, agree yeah, with that? Yeah. In terms well, of songs, in songs terms like of, I, I I travel and yeah. celebrate being the two singles. I think yeah, uh, and they, the they sequences were, in them and mm. sort of kind of obtuse guitar and very arty. Yeah, yeah, I thought. yeah, 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 and kind of kind of a weird Giorgio Moroder kind of thing. Yeah, thrown, yeah. thrown in there with Euro sort of disco. early yeah yeah mm. and the, like the early seventies crowd rock. Kind of not and, and, and a craftwork like influence, I reckon, yeah, was yeah. in there as well. Listening to it again, yeah. and they also stopped writing more traditional songs. They became more linear. Like you were saying, that they became better songwriters later. Well, they mm, were yeah, writing yeah. those songs in the first two albums. Mm. Yeah, the traditional yeah. verse, chorus stuff, and the yeah. guitar was all. And even the bass, you don't. I couldn't tell you one bass line from the first two albums. No. All no. of a sudden, the bass was pushed up in the mix and became yeah, yeah. a lead instrument and was doing yeah. really interesting things. So that, that was that was 1980, I think. That album. I think so, uh, 79, 80. I'd have to check mm, that. I think yeah. they might have released two albums in one yeah. year there. One yeah, time, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Which yeah, was the, yeah, the, the first two albums time. were both released in 1979. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, okay, really? well, they, that was a huge jump in one yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. And then yeah. 10 months after their second album, I think Empires and Dance came out. So it was only yeah. 10 months from, from from the second album, which was very heavily influenced by Roxy and by Eno, I think, mm. uh, yeah. some, some of the kind of instrumental stuff he did and... And so on. Why and do you then, think that was? Because there was a lot of bands at the time that almost took a left turn around that period. Yeah, Japan yeah. being another one. Yeah, that yeah. were doing similar glam kind of things, and all of a sudden, it's like a light bulb went off, and they mm. they changed direction vocally. The music changed as well. Mm. I think Simple Minds toured Europe for the first time between the second album and the, and, and the third album. I think that 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 was that was a big thing. So so that the lyric, you know, Europe has a language problem. Which, which I think is the first line you of, think of the album. The song "I Travel" might have come from that. Ah, interesting. <laughs> you never I never thought uh, of that. I should learn to read better between the lines than I do. Mm. But it's possible the song "I Travel" had something to, to do with their. their <laughs> it's not an easy one. Not many people would see that link, but but I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, this is this is why you're here. Well, I was wondering. <laughs> So yeah, Graham, yeah. You, you you would disagree with this? You you wave, waving your fingers and now well, you know. to tell the truth, I, I um. I'm not very au fait with the first few albums. And I just recently listened to Empires and Dance, which I, I really liked. There's a couple of clips on YouTube um, mm. of the singles. And uh, and they were great. You could see they had potential. But um, for my money, it wasn't until uh, Sons and Fascination that I, I really came on board. Mm. Actually, I was going to ask you guys, um, when was the first time you heard them or you saw them? And... and because I, I remember distinctly in um, Brisbane on one of those Saturday morning music shows seeing Love, uh, Love Song, the, the video for Love Song. And, and so that was what, uh, 81? 81? 81, I guess, yeah. Yep, geez, they were prolific. Uh, mm. like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was no stopping them. But I, I remember hearing that 
And also, I remember my mum saying that it was a boring song because he was just saying love song over and over again. And as, as you know, when you're young, if, if your parents don't like your music, that's it must be good. So, um, but you did the, insist on watching those shows with her, though. So, fair, fair mm. call. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, mum. Come on, mum. No. Saturday morning. Saturday morning. <laughs> Please, shows on. I have no friends. You, didn't, ha- with you me. didn't have to insist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, well, she, she was more of an Ultravox woman. So that's, you know, that's why she <laughs> the early stuff? Yeah, the yeah, early albums. Yeah. The John Fox yeah, yeah, the John vocalist Fox or the mid Yeah, No, as far as mum was concerned, it was all over once mid was started joining. joining. <laughs> oh, she was hardcore. Yeah, she was hardcore, yeah. 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 But, uh, but yeah, that, it, it, was, it was Love Song and then I bought uh, Sons and Fascination and was Sister Feelings called? It was a giveaway mm. with it. It was a giveaway. Mm. Yes, there extra were two, two albums together, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, there? yeah. yeah. For and the price of one. For the price mm. of one, yeah. So I, I bought those. So two. it was about a dollar eighty, I think. <laughs> oh <my laughs> <God>. whole package <laughs> back then, which was a, a, a small price to pay to, to jump on the Simple Minds train, and um, I, I've never regretted it. Those You've two. You've never albums, gotten off. I've never gotten <laughs> off. Well, I did get off. <laughs> I think you went into a siding for a while, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but mm. um, but it was a, it was a great train to be aboard because. So, um, Oh, sorry. So, so love song was the first song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. L- okay. L- love song was was it for me, and and and, and so on a on on a like a, on countdown or like a film clip show. It was a Saturday morning music show in Brisbane. Okay, sounds yeah, sounds yeah, sound, sound unlimited. Take music. issue with that, Graham, and say that you're wrong about the first time you heard them. And this really? will surprise you because... Because Graham's mum has told you. <laughs> Graham's mum has had a word to me. Um, no, Triple Z, which was the local community-funded radio station up there, which was the only thing you could hear any, anything on, In Brisbane? used to have a segment uh, for lifts and trips if you wanted to go to Melbourne or Sydney or something like that. They'd have a little oh, I remember that. Yeah. A little couple-of-minute segment. And the theme song to that was I Travel. I Travel. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, right. and that's I didn't know what it was. I just knew it as the theme song to trips or whatever it was called. The segment, so that's the first time I heard it, heard them unknowingly. Oh, but that you would probably so have I, the same. I, I thing. probably, yeah, I probably heard. The you same must thing. have without yeah. realizing it. Yeah. So obviously they were, had been playing the song on there, or somebody was aware of them mm. at that point. Anyway, but it's it, it's interesting you mentioned you mentioned love song because I think I I didn't see the film clip for love song. What I think is is the film clip for love song until I think several years later, or maybe I I, I saw it. And, and, and then forgot it. So my my visual connection with Love Song is probably Simple Minds performing it on Countdown. And if you get a chance to watch that film clip for, for Love Song again, it is one of the worst film clips in it the is, history of popular music. It, it, it features odd. the band going into a nightclub yeah. and getting into a fight. That's, that's That could happen. That, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that happened quite yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hyper-realism, that's for sure. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it is, it is an astoundingly bad film clip for a band that was trying to be serious and kind of intellectual in a way, for for, mm. for want of a better term. But then for, for them to have like just to have a Barney yeah. you know, <laughs> in the middle mid, of a well, mid film clip. Don't forget they were Scottish. <laughs> there is that. There would have been a, a lot of alcohol involved. Um, quite easily see. Let's them not get into punching on. When was the first time you heard them, Patrick? Uh, I think it was probably listening to independent radio three triple R in Melbourne, and I think it was in, in trance as mission. So the first song on on Sons and Fascination, mm. and it was just the weirdest kind of song that that it was so meandering and formless, and it kind of barely had had a chorus, and it was the same three note bass line in all, six four time all, all the way through in six four time. Thank you. Mm. 
and it was just it was just so so peculiar. And I mean, on 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 independent radio, you would hear lots of peculiar stuff, but it was it was peculiar in in a very particular way, and 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 quite quite hypnotic, I think. Well, apparently they were trying to replicate a lot of dance music that Derek Forbes had been playing on the tour bus. Ah, okay. They'd been listening to a lot of disco and dance music, whatever. I'm not sure what he was interested in, what type, but they were they were like, we should try to do something like this. And dance music is usually more linear anyway. There's there's not the you know the verse chorus thing as much. It's a groove. So that's what they were sort of trying to do, married with these other influences, which was why it became very right, dancey. Right. I mean, that stuff is you know you can put it on now. We'd probably have a dance right now if we had. Can you plug that up, Graham? Liven up proceedings. I can. I'll, I'll play the song on my acoustic guitar. It, it won't be the same. It won't be no. It might be quite the same. But um, I think that album, since we're talking about it, has to be acknowledged as one of the influential sound makers of the sort of era that we're talking mm. about. Because, as I was saying before, bass became very prominent in that, and most of the bands that we would talk about. If we had the opportunity, the bass would be a large part of it, larger certainly than, say, the punk bands or anything before that. Yeah. So that's something that's really worth you know thinking about. And it was all very atmospheric as well. That was a complete departure mm. from from anything that had gone before, as yeah, well, which yeah. is maybe the Eno thing and the, the Bowie influence as well. And just the fact that all the elements were synthesised so fantastically with the kind of the bass and the drums and the guitars that sounded like synths and synths that sounded like, like guitars and they all kind of melded together mm. um, as just this, this fantastically amorphous kind of mass. It was a great production. It was Steve Hillage. Yeah, I believe, an old, it was Steve Hillis, was it? Yeah, so. the, he was an old hippie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a very good job on that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And that really cleaned up the sound of the previous album, which was great as well, but it just kind of really made it, gave it direction. Yeah, mm. and uh, Jim Jim Kerr's lyrics as well, which which were so kind of p- peculiar and impressionistic. And but See, that was a departure too from the previous two, uh, yeah, first two yeah. albums because he wasn't writing anything like that. He was writing no. s- sort of the usual stuff. I yeah, don't know Ch- Chelsea heard. Girl and yeah. just song, songs about people and, and that, that, that sort of thing. Whereas Songs about people. Yeah. <laughs> which, which I we, like that. <laughs> which we didn't want to hear. We don't hear about normal people. People, i got no time for people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're the worst. Yeah. Well, I was, just a bit, the worst. I was just a bit sick of songs about people and yeah. I just thought, well, how about songs about things for it's once? about stuff. Now, Graham, you... you You'd be the only one of the three of us that saw them on the 81 tour. Yeah, I, I saw them. Now, tell us about how that came to be. Not how you particularly went, but the circumstances of the tour. <laughs> you mean how I got onto a bus? And, yeah, and <laughs> was your mum involved? <laughs> yes, that's right. Did, um, did she get a good seat? <laughs> this is boring. <laughs> she, needed, she needed to be sitting next to me. When are they going to play a love song, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I saw them. It was the end of 81 and the end of 82, both at Cloudland. Um, There's two different gigs we're talking about, or did you stayed there for a year? <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it so Encore. much. I was not coming until what I came back. What about schooling, son? <laughs> yeah, and, and this that, that first um, concert, I went because you know, because of uh, Sons and Fascination and uh, and Love Song. So they were, um, they were headlining? Yeah, they were headlining. Okay. Um, I thought they were supporting Ice House because remember that's the tour that I'm thinking of because in yeah, England or in mm, whatever it was they yeah. support Ice House supported them over there and then they reversed it here which was why Jim Kerr said the other night thanks to Ice House for bringing us out all those years mm. ago mm. so unless that's a different show but I was under the no, impression no, but, that was well, the first one maybe it was but I'm I, pretty I, sure I, I can't 
they weren't big enough to headline. Ice House were, were definitely the bigger band. Do you remember a song about a great southern land being played <laughs> at some point? <laughs> God, yeah, it's ringing a bell. Well, maybe they were called Flowers then. That's no, why no, you've no, forgotten. Yeah, yeah, no, the thing is, you know how um, I told you how I saw the year before in 1980? No, actually it was 79. I saw XTC, Flowers and the Numbers. Mm. And there, in, there's an article online that has photos from that yep. gig. And um, and, and that, that, that's, that's why I thought, you know, surely Flowers weren't that big two, two years later, but I guess they were. Yeah. They were. Yeah. They had those couple of singles and the album was called Ice House. That yeah. was a hit yeah. by Flowers. So they were big enough to be um, certainly playing Cloudland anyway. Mm. Okay, so that stage, I'll, I'll, yeah. have to, I'll have to have another look at that. But, may, yeah, maybe it was. Maybe uh, I'm, they, they I'm were supporting sure Ice House. Because that that's why time. he referenced that the other night, saying that at yeah. the end of the show. So that show you were at, regardless of who played first or last, you were there <laughs> yeah. and you had a jolly good time. I was there and, yeah, it, it, it was another one. There was a few um, bands that I saw around that time that were, you know, without being overly dramatic, it was sort of life-changing. Um, um, Echo and the Bunnymen, uh, Teardrop Explodes and, and, and Simple Minds. And I remember those bands having a big effect on, yeah. on me that, you know, uh, uh, in this, my my songwriting, which <laughs> at the time was was terrible, but I was trying I was trying to do what they were doing basically. And, it it um, would be interesting to get a sense of how listening to Simple Minds affected your songwriting, because I, f- I I find it hard to picture Simple Minds of that era as their music having anything much to do with well, songwriting as such. I think um, I um I had a three piece band. We didn't have a keyboard player like your band. But um, all of a sudden, um, people were, were guitarists in particular were using effects. Mm. I think it, it probably started with Andy Summers and more, but but, but yeah, Charlie Virtual was was a huge influence on me because he was using delays and things. Mm. And when you're playing guitars and using delays, all of a sudden your guitar is a rhythmic instrument. It, mm. It's almost like a sequencer. Mm. So um, so that coupled with a, a beat. You know, there was there was nothing like it. Mm. You know, if you could have this sort of rolling, delayed guitar, that that became a pulse almost. Well, the but, guitar became about atmosphere <coughs> mm. rather than um, power chords or yeah, solos. or solos, guitar yeah. solos. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we should point out at some at some stage, all three of us were in bands of that era, so we have a bit of a vested interest mm. in talking yeah. about this sound, but. Yeah, I, I I would agree, Graham. I went out and bought a Roland JC120 because Charlie Birchall, the simple Minds guitarist, had one, and I bought a semi-acoustic because Charlie Birchall had one. I didn't <laughs> have the one quite as nice as his. I had a cheaper version. And effects pedals, yeah, had to have delays yeah, and have uh, flanges and phases. And did did you know course. exactly what what effects? Oh, I had a bit of an Charlie idea. Yeah, Birchall I mean, had? I could work out what he was doing and how yeah. he was doing it. He had far better effects and. And um, I won't say I was as good as him, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he was a big influence. And yes, yeah, you're right. There was there's him and Andy Summers, and to a degree, Andy Gill from Gang of Four as well mm. was operating in some of the same territory. It just meant you didn't have to be a great guitar player because you could just be making sounds that sounded interesting that complemented what was going on. Which goes back to what I was saying about the way they wrote their songs. So when you talk about the the space created by the sound, mm. um, are you referring to the Suns and Fascination? Yeah, specifically, yeah, yeah. 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 Anything on that album, I, I would say, was a very big influence on the sort of thing that, that mm. I was trying to do in my sort of, you know, nascent guitar playing career. And um, 
the way that he seemed to just go off and do things and, and then come back in again, mm. and, and I, I just thought that was great. And there was no kind of you have to do this here or anything like that, which yeah. was really freeing mm. is what I'm trying to get at. And it also was able to uh, hide a multitude of errors and poor technique, which is <laughs> even better. <laughs> That's me, Graham, not you, obviously. Yeah. I was going to say something. I can't, it just really annoys me that I can't think of it now. It must have been really good too. It was. It, mm. was, it was gold. It was the best. Was the, the world best. needs to hear what Graham has to say about guitar, <laughs> guitar effects. It was, it was the bomb. <laughs> well, yeah. I wanted to go back to you saying you saw them at Cloudland anyway. So that was a, oh, yeah. a, a revelation for you. And then they followed that up a year later with another album and another tour, which was the first time I saw them. Uh, in New Gold Dream, mm. and they played that at the Cloudland as well. Yep. Mm, I don't know if we knew each other then, but um, we were definitely inhabiting the same sort of space. Yeah, I, I think I, I I may have seen your band at one at one point. There. Well, it was pretty early days for us. So we, I was still at school. Actually, no, eighty two. Mm. No, but yeah, but my, my band was still together at that point, so yeah. I, I wouldn't have seen your band, but. Uh, but yeah, they were headlining, and if it if it was indeed the New Gold Dream tour, mm. then um, then I love that because New Gold Dream is, is still my favourite. It's the pinnacle for you. Yeah. Does it yeah. fit into what we're talking about in terms of? Do you think it's a definitive post-punk album? No, because I, I think I think at that uh, at that point, um, you know, they'd become quite grand, and you know, they had the, the big keyboard. Mm. The sound was lush, and they were trying to make Avalon a Roxy music album. Johnny just found out recently. Well, I can't believe I didn't see that connection. Mm, it's def- oh, really? definitely it's definitely that's what they said they were trying to do because they they thought that was amazing, yeah. and they pretty much have done had done that. I reckon with that album, it was something quite special. But once again, a big jump off from the previous album. Mm. Yeah, completely different. In many ways, like pop songs, but weird pop songs. I mean, "Promised You a Miracle" is a strange song. Yeah, it's really jerky and kind of juddering, and it's catchy, but it's. I don't even know if it's got a chorus, does it? It's kind of weird. Yeah. Well, well I mean, the follow-up single, Glittering Prize, mm. I think that definitely doesn't have a chorus. Yeah. Well, th- there you go. Um, yeah. And Promise You a Miracle barely has one. <laughs> and um, you can't dance to it. It's kind of weird. No. So it shouldn't have been a hit, but it was. Yeah, yeah. It was, and in Australia, the, prior to your Breakfast Club uh, tune, I'd say that would be the two biggest mm. songs uh, that people know moment yeah, for yeah. prior to the others. Yeah. Well, Promise You a Miracle, they recorded that separately to, to the album, like b- before before the album, so it was in a completely different mm. session and they were just kind of mucking around, I think, and, and that that was the song that came out and uh, out of it and it was with a drummer who was only briefly with the band Ken- Kenny Hislop. Mm. And so, like, the I think the one recording that, that this guy played on was this, this hit single. Uh, well, there's, but, I think but, there's three different drummers on that yeah, album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but, that would be right, but 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 it felt like like a very unified sounding band. You know, it didn't feel like no, there's this guy just just mucking around on drums in the background. Like I've it, got a yeah. um, if it's not a John Peel, it's one of those Radio One recordings of that track before it was released, and it's still quite strange and kind of jerky sounding. But it's it's a lot rougher than the one that came right, out on right. the album anyway. It's not an obvious song. No, I no. don't think. But the overall, the album is very, very lush and smooth, and and you know, it still stands the test of time. It doesn't sound of its time quite so much as some of the other stuff, maybe. No, no. And in terms of the the actual songwriting, well, um, that's Graham's forte. Yeah, yeah. But but I mean, they're, <laughs> well, they're, I it's, give it an eight. Yeah, it's got it's got a little bit of a verse chorus thing, but <clears> but <throat> um, yeah. I mean, when when I think of that album. 
I'm going to have to take you both back to a place I've taken you both before, which is the... Not don't, there. Don't, don't, look so hor- don't look so horrified. I thought there was a restraining order. <laughs> um, which is that um, that album came out in late 82 mm. and when uh, I was first year uni and my brother and myself and a friend got the opportunity to interview Jim Kerr for the university newspaper. So... Um, uh, what what struck me about meeting Jim at the Carlton Travelling uh, for for that interview was just just how um, well, firstly how freaked out I was, <laughs> and, um, well, as was he, <laughs> as was he with and and he was rocking double denim, double denim. Yeah, it can be he done. Was rocking double denim. Good for him. Uh, white T-shirt, I think, and the denim jacket, jeans. This is the nice. new Gold Dream tour still. We're talking yeah, about. Yep, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But, but um, just how different he was as an interviewee to the um, the the my favourite musicians of the time, people like the 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 Cure and Joy Division, New Order, um, the bands who seemed to specialise in, let's say, a reflective, contemplative, some would say depressive kind of quality. And Jim was all about the brightness and the light and the stars and the sky and the clouds. <laughs> this and is the, in the, the interview. The sunsets. Or in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the interview, he was right. he was extremely animated. Was you know, he high? About, <laughs> well, I think we all were. Right. But, it sounds uh, <laughs> like he might have been. <laughs> they were heady times. He may have had a wee dram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, possibly. But. Yeah, it was it was a real revelation to me that a band could could be inspiring and cool and and and, and fantastic and atmospheric and so on at the same time as being really optimistic and mm. so that 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 to me was 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 the real feature of Simple Minds at that time the attitude of the band as much as the music because they'd never previously had the word dream and gold and new, you know, in their song titles. Hang on a minute. Just for argument's sake. (laughs) They should put those together. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm going to jump in on this one because I've got another theory about this because there was a movement around that time championed by NME and Melody Maker of like the new pop. Yeah. Everybody was kind of sick and tired of depressing music and the post-punk thing as we knew it at the time was about that as epitomised by Joy Division and and bands like that. So you had ABC, the Human League, Simple yep, Minds, yep. a lot of these guys, Echo and the Bunnymen to a degree, coming out with these upbeat songs, dressing in brighter mm. colours. Uh, everything just seemed to, like the sun just seemed to come out and it was a thing. And yep. all of a sudden people that maybe weren't that interested in punk and post-punk were getting on board. Adam and the Ants is a great example of yeah, that as yeah. well. Came out of that era mm. but were unashamedly pop yeah, having, and, having previously and come previously from, from, quite, from punk. And yeah, quite dark else. as well. Mm-hmm. And they were fun and they were about having a good time and making money and enjoying life and doing all the things that had been supposedly wrong prior to this. So that Simple Minds album is a big pointer towards that, I think, as well. It's yeah, interesting yeah. that you say that, that yeah. he was like that because I don't know whether he was deliberately like that or just part of that whole thing yeah, that yeah. just blew up around about 82, as I, as I remember. Yeah, know. yeah. Well, it, it certainly fit, fitted in with the zeitgeist. Mm. And, yeah, well, I well, that's that, that's interesting and I, and I hadn't hadn't really thought of that. And, and yeah, I wonder how much of an influence he would, uh, like Simple Minds, would have allowed other pop, well, pop bands to be when when their roots were in, you know, um, rock, rock, Roxy Music and Velvet Underground and Eno and, you know, like really serious, arty kind mm. of 
bands. I'd say that, all of those bands would have been coming from the same similar territory anyway, because you don't get to that level with your first but, album. But some of, I mean. some of the bands you, you, you were talking about were very obviously and unashamedly pop bands. Whereas then, yeah, but not always. I mean, ABC were a punk band no, as but, well prior to sorry, that. My, my point is who, that who would you that, be referring that to? That in 1982. Mm. Um, ABC and Adam and the Ants and, and whoever were unashamedly pop and Simple Minds weren't unashamedly pop. They were trying to be serious. They were you know, like they were they were they were trying to. They they wouldn't I don't think have described themselves as a pop band. Whereas ABC with that probably album would have yeah. Well, I don't think mm-hmm. they would have described themselves as a pop. Should band. Should have asked him that at the time. I reckon yeah. they would have. I reckon that was one of their moves. I, I think they've been quite deliberate and quite uh, ambitious in what mm. they've done and in a lot of the stuff they might say they haven't been but you don't do the things that they've done and have such a long career as they've done if you are, haven't got an eye on something. You know, to keep that band together in in, in the form that they did even yeah. was pretty amazing. I reckon they've always had a bit of an eye on the next level uh, to, you know, and have achieved those things as well. So I, I don't know. We ne- we'll never know unless no. we can get him on here. Um, Jim, <laughs> are you listening? Um, but that was a whole part of that movement. And as I say, I think it's interesting that you say that because I think there was a real shift in, mm, in yeah, things. Yeah, like yeah. The Face came out around then and uh, yeah, well, Sma- Smash, Smash Hits, Hits was, was a big part yeah, of it too. Yeah. That's a really good thing, yeah. Mm. And a lot of people didn't like the music that I liked prior to that, but all of a sudden you could get girls interested in this sort of music. Mm, mm, um, yeah, yeah. And, they, and they were, you know, it was happy music, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm. So and then um, post-New Gold Dream, they thought they'd um, go a bit crazy. Uh, the ante. Turn the drums up Way up, loud, Steve Lillywhite. Get Steve Lillywhite in. <laughs> yeah. because, it was huge, wasn't it? Because yeah, it they'd heard U2's War album and they thought, you know what, Never we can make thing. drums bigger than this. Never <laughs> a good thing. Well, drums were a big 80s thing anyway by that point, so you can't blame them just for that. But it was, it, I think drum machines are to blame for how big drums became. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. all of a sudden, yeah, I remember coming to a music um, show down here in Sydney and hearing a Lindrum for the first time. And it was before they were actually out. And we were all just blown away by the sound of this thing. And there were Simmons kits around at the time. That was mm. the first thing that we liked, electronic drums. But the Lindrum thing was just like, this is a whole new world now. We don't need anything else. We just have a drum machine. Mm. Every, yeah, everyone yeah. sacked their drummers. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think <laughs> the Musicians Simple, Union was up in arms. Simple right. Minds certainly fell into that trap with um, Sparkle in the Rain. There are good tracks on that. I think Waterfront is a, is a great mm. song. Um, well, I, well, I think, I think um, Simple Minds reacted to... The reaction to New Gold Dream that that they were kind of saying we don't want to be associated with 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 other pop bands. People think we're a bit kind of a bit soft. Whereas when they played the New Gold Dream album live, as we heard, it 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 did it didn't sound like background music. It was it, it was, it was, the it, was, was yeah, it was forceful. Face, the drums, Mel Gaynor's drums were right up there. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. a really heavy you yeah. know, show. Sound was amazing. One of the best live sounds I've ever seen. Right. Yeah, so they. They deliberately, not not least with with Waterfront, which I think was was the lead in single to to the album. Mm. They were trying to make it as big as possible. And I remember reading an interview with um, with with Jim, where he said that he'd heard of radio programmers complaining about how loud the <laughs> opening bars of of Waterfront were. And he said, and that was just the best thing he'd heard all year mm. for them to be complaining about that. So they were really trying to, you know, make this kind of big, big, big brash, loud sound as a kind of, not not least as an antidote to the the perceived kind of slightly easy listening. You know, I mean, the accusations you you could make at an album that is as beautiful 
as beautifully produced mm. as as New Gold Dream is. But you could certainly argue, I don't know that I would, but that that sparkle in, in, in the rain was was the beginning of the end for the band in terms of yeah. the kind of stadium rock thing. And I, the, I'd agree with you on that, the, but I'd say that it was deliberate to try to go to that next level rather than trying to still be cool and react yeah. against something. They just went, okay, let's ramp it up another notch and go big like you two are doing. Mm. If we're going to yeah. have a hit in America and they hadn't had one, yeah, yeah, then yeah. that's what we've got to do. We've got to have big guitars, big choruses, big drums, big everything, and they and they achieve, achieve that and probably had some moderate success in the States with that album. I'm not 100% mm, sure. Yeah, yeah. There was about yeah. five singles off it. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I bought them all, Yeah, but, sadly. But but it was, it, it was not an album laden with songs that sounded like hits. Not obvious hits, no. So, I mean, no. there were songs with kind of cho- chorusy t- type things and s- s- mm. Speed Your Love to me or, or, or whatever, but but it, di- it didn't feel at all clinical to me in terms of, of, of trying to break, the, they break o- the US. They weren't obvious choruses no. like, like what was to come. No, mm. no. It, well, that's it, true. It was more uh, songs that were so big that they demanded your attention. Yeah, and they absolutely. Were, yeah. Use a cliche, they were stadium songs. They yeah, were songs yeah. that you could play in a football ground yeah, and people yeah. could wave their arms to. Like Waterfront is a stadium song. Yeah, yeah. It still rocks. It it's is a, a rock song. It's, really it's huge. And, you know, it's a big sound and I guess that that's what they got. And that's what. But it is, you're right, that's the start of wherever they went after there. And interestingly, the last album that Derek Forbes played on. Mm. As well, so that to me is the beginning of the end. Yeah. Shut the door on Simple Mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although, funnily enough, he did come back later on, and I think it would be interesting in a parallel universe to think how the Simple Mind sound would have evolved if you two had never existed. Because I think that's a good question to ponder. Anyway, <laughs> what would the world be like if you two had never existed? Would we have had to invent them? Well, that, <laughs> that's perhaps a subject for another day. <laughs> But, well, you could uh, throw them into a post-punk podcast yeah, if you yeah, want. Absolutely. The first couple absolutely. of albums, you yeah, know, yeah, Boy in October, because yeah. you know, stake a claim. But, in there. but but there was there was something really alluring for people who liked kind of big anthemic music from the uh, the Under a Blood Red Sky uh, live at Red Rocks mm. U2 video and also the the kind of EP I think that came with it. And I can just picture the members of Simple Minds sitting down watching that that video and just thinking that's that that's what, what we've got to do, that. and yeah. I think that that was 1983. So that was between the New Gold Dream album and Sparkle in the Rain, and perhaps not entirely coincidentally, Sparkle in the Rain was a massive sounding mm. album, and suddenly you two and, and Simple Minds seemed to be operating almost in parallel in terms of the big stadium rock sound. Although you two's next album, Unforgettable Fire, was actually quite quiet, funnily enough. But uh, yeah, I think the Simple Minds then kind of evolving into this U2 wannabe stadium album and then the Live Aid and all that. I think that was extremely unfortunate. However, one song on Spark in the Rain became the theme song from Rage, didn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Speed Your Love to Me. Oh, but it's the The, the 12-inch remix of it. It's not off the album. Would anyone care to do a rendition of... (laughs) I've got it. That's not very helpful right now. I've got it at home. But... Um, um, would anyone care to, for for people listening to uh, well, give... Well, it's supposing the, quite a lot. Well, it is, it is. It is. <laughs> okay, well, let's, well, let's I, run with it. I will edit in a bit of this. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of applause from, from the crowd at this stage. Yes. Perhaps something from um, Live at Red Rocks. That probably ran for about 20 years, didn't it, that intro? I was going to say... It go forever. They must have that and King edit. Crimson was the other one. Mm. The other... Mm. That was King yeah, Crimson. Yeah, yeah. That was another one that How ran How does the Simple Minds one go again? Oh, 
It's got no. I'm not down, doing down, that. down, down, down. There you go. Something That's all. like that. Yeah. yeah. But but the um, they must have made a fortune off that. Well, I don't know that it, the, the public broadcasting channel in I'm Australia sure. would really pay that much. You may be oh, right. No, no. If, mm. if, if, if there's a, a chunk of music that's a theme to, to something. That's a topic that I'd like to discuss further right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> what, what, royalties? <laughs> um, I haven't finished with Graham's next time that he saw Simple Minds. Simple ah, Minds okay, which sorry, was, I, I, was, um, I was jumping forward. Which was that tour, wasn't it? The Sparkle in the Rain tour? No, no. The, are you you're talking about 86? Oh, I thought it was 85. They they toured here. No, it was eighty six. Was it? Because you, sure? you saw them in, in Melbourne in Melbourne in eighty four. Okay. And then eighty six was the Once Upon a Time tour. Ah, okay. I see. Ah. And uh, I only went, I only year. went and saw them because a friend of mine had a um, spare ticket, and uh, I was a fan forever. So I thought, oh, I'll go along and see them. And I, I was really disappointed. And um, you, you were speaking about the wonderful Derek Forbes and his um, bass playing on Promised You a Miracle. Mm. It was it was quite funky. Right, yeah. A lot, lot of slapping. And then this new bass player played, they played Promised You a Miracle at the City Entertainment Centre and he just played these, dum, a very dum, very dum, straight, dum. yeah, a very straight bass line. He didn't play all the funky stuff that he did. And um, I remember at that point thinking, oh, they've really gone down in my it's estimation. Over. It, it's over. Mm. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. because that, that, that song was, was so good. They didn't have to change it just because they're playing stadiums now. They didn't have yeah, to, change, yeah. to change the song. And, and the other thing I remember about the concert was um, Mick McNeil, the, the keyboard player. Mick McNeil. I think at that time they had these um, uh, keyboard samplers and every time he had to uh, load a sound, he had had it on a floppy drive. Ah, yeah. So he was putting these floppy drives in. And waiting. And just waiting. <laughs> and he was just playing away. <laughs> Between each song, there'd be these long instrumental ah. things. <laughs> and I realised after a while that because he was doing this yeah. kind of thing, um, yeah. he, he was loading the sounds in, in, into, into his keyboard. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was a, a, a disappointing concert. I think uh, Once Upon a Time was probably the end of the road. For the band, ultimately, and it's not often you end a story with Once Upon a Time. That's good. That's really good. That's fantastic. Well, it does It does coincide. Derek Forbes didn't play on that album, did he? Yeah. Yeah. So that, for me, is the I know. <laughs> you always say that the moment Derek Forbes left. The moment yeah, Derek, absolutely. You know absolutely. why he left? That does, not many people know this. This he is He was great, kicked yeah. out. <laughs> for being, what was it? For womanising. Um, womanising and, and a bit too much drinking. I think that's the first time in the history of music a, a member has been asked to leave due to womanising. Womanising, yeah. I, I thought mean, that it, would never happen in Motley Crue. No, that's mm. right. Yeah. Or, or any other band ever. Motley, Motley Crue would be like, you're not womanising enough. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> Bronsky Beat you might be asked to leave yeah. for womanising. It just doesn't fit. But, <laughs> well, I thought it was compulsory as distinct from... Look, why yeah, do you join something a band? to get kicked out of a band? Why do you join? A, why do you start playing music? I had this conversation this morning with a guy. It's like, well, I was into sport, and I kind of like. And as soon as I discovered music, I kind of forgot about sport because mm. it would get you girls, and it was just a lot cooler. Um, <laughs> mm. I'm sure that was the thinking. And uh, and as you, as we all know, that's absolutely true, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nodding my head over here. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm racking my brain trying to remember. Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced. <laughs> and, uh, yes, yeah, so I still have an almost kind of visceral reaction to Once Upon a Time. I, I did listen to it a couple of days ago uh, for the first time in a very long time and certain songs just send a shiver down my spine in, in terms way? of how appalling I think they are. Um, I've never heard of that happening, having a... 
bad shiver. A bad shiver, yeah. 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 Yeah, As, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it, it can well, happen. Assuming I'm being literal and the shiver <clears throat> was real. Um, we did have a few cold nights recently. That's true. That's true. It, it, put, it, put it, on has, been, it, it has been in, intemperate. <laughs> well, can I just say that um, after seeing them the other night, some of the um, Once Upon a Time songs weren't as bad as I remember. Mm. How many drinks had you had? <laughs> I had a few at that point. But yeah, like I, I, I bought the album when it came out, and uh, I, I, um, like you guys, I, I was, I just wasn't inspired by anything mm. that they'd recorded. However, seeing seeing the, their live show just recently, and then seeing them go from from long ago to, to, to the more recent stuff, it, the, the show seemed to flow quite well. It, you know, there was some mm. nice. There was some. I think really we were nice more moments. forgiving. Yeah, well, yeah. This, well. this is what I'm thinking. Yeah. <clears throat> More inclined to go. Well, let them have those songs. Oh, well, not not only them, but let the audience let, have let, them. let these <laughs> let these fools enjoy themselves. Mm, yeah, yeah. While I sit here looking down mm, on them. Yeah. Why the hell, by the way, did they write a song called Belfast Child when they're Scottish? I mean, is that jumping on U2's bandwagon or what? Yeah. Well, I think they felt that seeing seeing as they were writing songs about Mandela Day, you know. When is that, by the way? Every day is Mandela Day. Every day is Mandela Day. Um, I think Mandela Day was supposed to be the day that Mandela was going to be set free. Ah. I think that was... They got everything ready. I think think that was... And then they changed their mind. That was the point, yeah. But that was prior to him being released. Right. That that, that song came out. But I think they felt that, that, you know, if they feel that that they can delve into the South African political situation, then, you know, they, they shouldn't be afraid of delving into the political situation across... The, pond. the Irish Sea. Yes. Why didn't they ever do a song about devolution then, mm. you know, closer to home, if that's what they want to talk about? I mean, they're Scottish. They should have done something about that. What's the link? <laughs> well, that was a big thing back then for the Scots to leave. Oh, sorry, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, so yeah, don't yeah. leave it to Devo. Yeah, no, no, you're <laughs> that's right. Not de-evolution, right. I'm talking de-evolution. Right. Yeah, yeah, de-evolution. <laughs> right, sorry. That's yeah. a different thing. I thought you were talking about de-evolution. No, that's a whole other podcast <laughs> yeah. about Devo. Yeah. I mean, wow, that's right. you'd, you'd need that's a long right. time to really get into yeah, what those yeah. guys were on about. But, but, but I have to say, when I was listening to Once Upon a Time, I was struck by the thing that, that struck me and disappointed me almost the most out of all elements of the music in terms of being a poor comparison or c- comparing poorly with earlier albums, and that was the lyrics. So I used to love Jim Kerr's lyrics because they were so impressionistic. There was so much space. Open to, to interpretation. Open to interpretation to kind of draw your own conclusions and just they, they were so evocative of so many different things. Um, yeah, you could you, you could kind of write, write your own story around the, the, those snippets of lyrics. But then if I can, if I can just... Bless you with a couple of lines from from Sanctify Yourself. <laughs> oh, you've got yourself. some prepared there. Is, yeah. is this your tattoo Just you're the reading? One. <laughs> <laughs> so see, see if you can guess how, how each line ends. Well, I hope and I pray, pray. that maybe some way, day, day, you'll come back down here and show me the money. You've heard this song before. <laughs> Isn't this ABC? <laughs> um, well, I hope and I pray. Yeah, maybe someday you've been listening to the Lexicon of Love. <laughs> oh, no wonder you didn't like <laughs> it. Hang on, sorry, it's on the other side of the page. <laughs> right. I take it all back. Okay, so shoot that poison. Hang on, no, that's not. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but the same song, and I kid you not, contains both the lines "Open up your heart" and "Love is all you need." 
And it's just so disappointing to me in retrospect that someone who was such, who I would describe as something of a poet was kind of churning out that 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 sort of stuff that just felt a little bit like something like 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 year eleven poetry or something. That's um, doing a disservice to the year eleven poetry. <laughs> My poetry in year eleven was better than that. <laughs> yeah. and, and more importantly, um, love isn't all you need. That's true. No. Well, that's something <laughs> well, you say the, when you've yeah. got money, <laughs> yeah. which he had by then, mm, and a lot true. of cheeseburgers. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, for for me, that's that, that's more or less where where the Simple Minds story ends, and I think that's more or less where we all stopped listening to the band. But but yeah, but, but what I think is really interesting is that um, because we're so <laughs> passionate about um, our disappointment of the band <laughs> at that in point, general. In general. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, Let Jim. Let me list the, the ways you've disappointed me this year. <laughs> it's because it's because that It'll they be feats of strength next. <laughs> <laughs> It's because we loved what they did earlier so much. Mm. Yeah, but this is a, a common theme of, for people. Of you old know. people. Your, your bands that disappoint you. The best bands that disappoint you will never disappoint you, only make one album. Mm. So they can't go wrong. Any band that stays together past three albums is going to let you down. We, we may that's need to, another subject. We may need to retitle. Bands that let you pod, down. Ba- bands <laughs> that let you down. Yeah, well, <laughs> bands we used to like that now suck. I think that's better. But we, look, we, we, we should try and conclude on a note of, of why we're talking about Simple Minds mm. Um, mm. rather than how many albums they did that we didn't like. The ones that we loved. <laughs> so we, lead lead the way, Mark. Well, the ones that we loved, I think we loved more than than anything else at the than, time. Than life itself. Well, it meant mm. it meant that when you're that age, it means more than life itself because it's, mm. it's giving voice to God knows what you're thinking and going through. And yeah, for yeah. people who played music as no matter how amateurishly, amateurishly as we did, it was a way of going forward. And as you said, you're trying to write songs like them, trying to look like them, trying to be like them. And mm. I mean, that, you can't ask for more than a band, you know, mm, from a yeah, band yeah. than that. And they definitely achieved that. I think for me, as I said, they, they had a pinnacle with Sister Feelings and I, New Gold Dream is still one of my all-time favourites. But in terms of innovation and a different way to write pop songs, like Love Song is a great example of a song that's not a song, but it's incredibly catchy. It's got the mm. same bass line all the way through. Yeah. There's no verse and no chorus, but it's really, really catchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could do that. Yeah, that was as yeah, revolutionary yeah. as anything that punk bands yeah. did. It just showed a different way of doing things. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when they were good, they were very, very good, but they were always yeah. going to let you down. Yeah, because life does. Life does, and, <laughs> you know, and that's a good lesson to learn as well. I mean, if you if you get three albums out of a band, you've got no right to ask for anything No, more. that's true. And, that's you know, true. I'd say the best bands have three good albums in them. I also don't hold it against them either. Yeah, but you're I more know, forgiving. I, I know you, yeah, guys, yeah, yeah. you guys don't agree with me on this, but it's... Yeah, you've always been more uh, compassionate uh, than us. Yeah. <laughs> it's soft. It's Those years in the army taught you nothing. Yeah. No, I just, I just think that, you know, I don't begrudge them the idea of wanting to uh, sell more records, sell more tickets, that kind of a thing. Mm. I think um, all, all bands wind up doing it and uh, a lot of them who don't do it probably don't get the opportunity later in life like Simple Minds have of being able to still tour the world. Mm. Well, that's an interesting thing. We talked about that and said it's amazing that those three guys, because it is only the three yeah. original members, still have the opportunity to play to middling-sized audiences yeah. who know a lot of their old stuff as well as their more popular stuff. I mean, yeah. the fact that they got a crowd that big. How big? Well, I don't know, whatever the Horden holds, you know, several yes. thousand. Mm. Five thousand? Yeah, something like that. And who knew it and loved every song and sang along with it. I mean, I was impressed with that. 
Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you told me that the first time I saw them, you know, yeah, yeah. some odd years ago, I would have said, no, I can't really see that happening. So I don't begrudge them that either. But, you know, yeah, yeah. I, the, the, the harder you love something, the more disappointing it is when it yeah, yeah. lets you down, of course. Well, the, the hard-hearted part of me always comes back to the big bopper equation. Um, the plane that crashed killing... The big bopper. <laughs> yeah, never a day goes by without without Patrick mentioning this. It's, and, it's scarred you, hasn't it? And several other musical legends. I, I think um, I, I might like, be I might be completely wrong. This is not my era, but 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 I think the big bopper and Richie Valens yep. and Bubby, Buddy Holly yes. all died in the same. I love the fact plane that crash. out of all those people, it's the big bopper. Well, <laughs> he's your morning. He's he's the one who was always closest to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, been, has, so, yeah, has it been established why they were all on the same flight? Was it coincidence? But the, I think uh, yeah, they were touring together. Ah, oh, okay, right. But according to 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 what I call the big big bopper factor, um, I, I do think I do think so I do think sometimes in terms of are we talking like, about the same thing? Hello <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to my fifties rock and roll program. <laughs> <laughs> where we pay tribute to Richie Valens <laughs> and La Bamba. Um, no, sorry. My point, my point, and I do have one, yes. is that um, the the hypothetical, and I wouldn't wish this on on anyone, but but the hypothetical idea of a band passing away in a in a plane crash and leaving us at a particular point, and if Simple Minds had all you know, <laughs> heaven forbid, perished a in a plane crash on this one, are you heaven saying forbid, you wish they died? <laughs> You're saying it'd be no bad thing. <laughs> I'm saying that the the legacy of Simple Minds had they finished in 1984 with for me Sparkle in the Rain and for for, for you guys perhaps an album earlier. Um, I think would be almost unprecedented in the history of, of of popular music because the evolution they they made from like from, from album to album to album to, to to sparkle in the rain as far as I'm concerned was absolutely incredible. So the fact that they haven't done an album since then that that has appealed to me doesn't really matter to me that that much. Are you saying that the big buffer? Would have sold out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's but what I'm saying. Big Bopper would have been playing stadium and rock he will tell by you by 1960. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For if sure. you'd if you'd heard his the the outtakes from 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 his son son recording the, the, from the, Sun he Records, he had big plans for that next album. Yeah. He, he said, "Look, I'm going to sell out first chance I get. I'm going to talk to Colonel Parker in the morning." <laughs> well. I mean, Chantilly Lace was still my favourite Big Bopper song. <laughs> he will never and do item it. to wear. <laughs> you know, the Angels did a fine cover version of Chantilly Lace for some time. Really? Back in the mid 70s. But I digress. Okay, we, we, we've, we've, got, we've gone way <laughs> off post punk here. Mm. Yeah, well, not really, but yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yes, I think we can agree that Simple Minds have. Um, uh, been a massive band for all of us, hugely important for for all of us, and that we're all just a little disappointed that that they they live on in the public imagination in ways that that perhaps 
don't show their 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 greatest strengths, but 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 that we're we're very grateful that they were around for the time that they were around. I'd also say they have not just influenced us, not that we really matter, but a whole bunch of other bands and styles of music as well. Mm. Certainly in Australia, they were a big influence on um, the burgeoning post punk scene here. Mm. Lots of bands came out of the kind of wake of that album. I'd say it was a big big album. A lot mm. of influences there. Mm. Like I remember. Even uh, listening to who was the lead singer of the church, Steve um, Kilby. Steve Kilby. There were, I, I had an interview with him, and he—I he, remember him saying the, the New Gold Dream was a revelation when it came out. And I—I I, I never thought of the church as being no. any, anywhere near um, like they were influenced by Simple Minds. So it was really nice to see that uh, that a lot of people, a lot of different people, were affected by yeah, by yeah, the absolutely. Music. 